Well, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for those at home joining us for many different reasons. Turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. If you're using the Pew Bible that's in front of you, if you want to follow along in the translation I use, it's 1051. 1051. Uh, so you can turn there or turn into your device or turn on your device and you can follow along there. This is very rarely, I don't know if I've ever in my life heard a pastor uh, preach or have a series through First and Second Timothy. Uh, maybe you have. Uh, most pastor conferences, maybe, that, that they've turned to these chapters or these verses. But normally as believers, we think, oh, that's just the pastor's books. You know, we just kind of read those letters or we'll skim through those when we need to. Uh, or th- th- those are really for leaders within the church. I don't really need to read along this. But... If you have good, you know, good grammar, at the end of 1 Timothy 6, 21, it says, Paul says, God be with you all, or to translate to us Southerners, to y'all. This is addressed to not just Timothy, but to the church at Ephesus and to the leaders at Ephesus, as well as the church. And so it's important for us to understand what's in these, these books. Why? Because, look, the, you are the church. What makes a healthy church? It's not just healthy leaders, but it's actually healthy members within the church. And so it's vital for you to know what it means to be healthy, to be, and what we'll talk about here in a little bit more, how Paul charges Timothy and the rest of us in this way. But also as, as the church, you have the authority as, as congregational authority to you will at the, at the minimum be choosing your leaders and you'll be choosing elders and pastors. You'll be choosing deacons and you'll be uh, encouraging one another in the faith. So, so this book, both First and Second Timothy are for us all. And so today we want to look as we begin that we are all enlisted to the fight. And this is what we're going to be. So I'm just gonna read the first two verses, pray, and then we're gonna jump in here in a minute. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, as this letter begins, uh, may we see that this letter has been written to us. May we understand you, God, that you Uh, that you have written these words, that you have breathed it as we will read later in one of the sections of these verses, that every word of it is by you and it is for us to follow you. So Lord, I pray as we gather this morning, whether we're here in the building or at home, that Lord, this morning we would be changed by the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. An elderly master carpenter had, uh, had, was uh, immaculate at his work and did such great, but he, great work, but he had come to the end of his career and he just felt it was time to retire and to spend more time with his family. And so he let his contractor know that it was time for him to step aside. And of course the contractor was sad to see him go, but he understood that this was the time that he needed to step aside. And so he said, uh, would you please stay for one more job? Would you help build with your very own hands one more house? 
And the carpenter agreed. But as he started to get into it, it, it just kind of waned away. He started to not have a heart for it. He had work, shoddy workmanship that he would never have agreed to in his entire career. He just started to phone it in, inferior materials. And it was a very unfortunate way to end his career. And when the contractor showed up to the job to inspect the work he had done, to the, the house was all finished, the contractor showed up and said, here's the key to the front door of this house. I am gifting it to you. This is now yours. Imagine the carpenter's reaction. This was supposed to be a gift for him. And this could have been his legacy for his children and grandchildren to pass down his best work, his most important work, and yet he phoned it in. And here he's received a house that he's done his least important work. What a missed opportunity. This is very similar to Christians and to churches who fail at the opportunity that God gives to hand the great commission and the gospel to the next generation that follows us. We have every opportunity to leave a legacy, faithful to the Bible, faithful to the gospel, true to the great commission, and oftentimes we neglect the gift that Christ hands us. Paul in his writing today instructs the church to be a foundation. When he say church, he's talking about the people. To be a pillar of truth and a foundation. In 1 Timothy 3.15 that we will read in uh, coming weeks, he says, but if I should be delayed, I've written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. The pillar and the foundation of truth. Brothers and sisters, it is not uh, organizations, it is not famous pastors, it is the church that is the pillar of foundation of truth. And if we're not careful, we will waste the truth God has given us when we step aside from the truth. The purity of the gospel, the trueness to God's word, we must be cautious of the legacy that we leave. We must decide whether we are laying and living to the truth of the Bible and being faithful to the Great Commission. Let me, I've noticed this over many years, almost 23 or 24 years of vocational ministry. Every generation who is not faithful to certain parts of the scripture, the next generation will walk even further away. And it is very important that we say, what is it that God says? What does it be faithful to the scripture? Because we are leaving a, leg leaving a legacy behind. Not only to the truths of the scripture, but also to the great commission. We must be faithful at being evangelistic, of sending out missionaries, about being a part of the great commission ourselves and as a church. Parents, grandparents, if your children never see you share the gospel, why would they? Why would they see is it important? How do they know that it's important to share the gospel if it's never been important to you? 
Therefore, we must have a legacy, not just to the scriptures and the truth, but also the Great Commission. And as Paul writes in both letters, really is a reflection to his son in the faith, Timothy, reflecting and praying and hoping that Timothy might as well leave a legacy of the pillar of truth. We see this at the end of 2 Timothy. We know that Paul's life is starting. He knows and understands that it's coming to a close. He writes, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is drawing close. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to those who have loved his appearing. Paul understood that the race was drawing near for him. But he knew it was important through Timothy and for Timothy to leave a legacy behind him that we must join the fight of faith for the generations to come. Paul is telling Timothy, the church of Ephesus, and us today, that we must be enlisted in the fight to leave a legacy of faith to pass on to future generations. Will you join the fight? Brothers and sisters, as we have sat here, we know that we are standing on a legacy that was built for us. That there are people in our church that had gone before us to leave a legacy of standing on the scriptures and on the Great Commission. We've been the beneficiaries of great men and women of faith. Carl Pepper and Cleveland Giles who would regularly visit and go out visiting to share the gospel and inviting people to church. I can't even imagine the smile on their face that they would see their legacy of our gospel to every home going out door to door on Sundays and taking the gospel. Or people like Velma Clifton who, who revved up and started and foundationalized Women, uh, women on mission here at Hebron Baptist Church, WMU, and started the Baywack ministry that still 40 years later is serving the adults with special needs in Boone County for a Thanksgiving meal. What a wonderful legacy that has been laid out before us. Or, or maybe even Ruby Reed. Some of you know Ruby Reed and how she would minister to people through her, her, her love, her care, her prayer and her pies. We know that it was famous for her pies and loving and caring for those people. Many of you today have heard those names for the first time, but I can know and you should know that they are part of a legacy that was built that we stand on the gospel and the Bible and the Great Commission today. And the question for every one of us in this room is what legacy will we fight to leave those behind us? And today, when we look at this passage, there are three reasons for us to fight for a godly legacy for the next generation of believers. So if you're following along at home or if you're writing notes in your phone or on a piece of paper, number one, join the fight for a legacy of truth. Join the fight for a legacy of truth. Let me read verse three through 11. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. 
Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they're insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and the sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. As Paul and we read these verses together, verse 11, 3 through 11, Paul maintains that it is imperative that we as believers hold on to, hold up, and fight to stay central in the word and sound doctrine in the life of the church. We see this because the first command that Paul gives to Timothy is to, uh, to stop certain people from teaching false doctrines. Now, what were they teaching? Well, we saw just a glimpse of that, that when they said that there were myths and genealogies, there were some who were saying that if you uh, research or go back into your genealogy, that you trace their roots, that you will find out you've been descended by a great person, which makes you even greater in the faith. There was also some that they were teaching, they were discouraging uh, false teachings like uh, discouraging people from getting married and told them not to eat particular foods. Paul said over and over again that the church must be on guard for false teachers. The best way for us, brothers and sisters, to be on guard for false teachers is to know the truth ourselves. That we can understand it, see it, identify it, and even rebuke it when we hear it. We need to protect ourselves from what this Bible's call wolves in sheep's clothing, those who, who look like Christians but have a devious intention. I think actually even more so that we need to keep ourselves from the teaching that is poison wrapped in candy. And what do I mean by that? Well, it means the things that taste good, that makes you feel good, but if you keep consuming it, it will kill you. And unfortunately, there's lots of types of teaching that, that sound good, that make you feel good, but are not grounded in the truth. That you need to understand that just because someone even sometimes mentions God every once in a while, it might not be the God of the Bible. And it might not be founded in the gospel truth. And this is what was happening in Ephesus and what happens today. We need to understand and know that there are false teachers out there that are, that are going about and that are hurting those around us. We know such people, uh, we know that we need to turn those people away by understanding sound doctrine. We need to be able to identify the false doctrines of those who maybe be of Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormonism. But maybe it's those that we turn on to stream and, and watch or read the books of popular pastors who've come up and all they want to do is either take your money or make you feel good and unfortunately leave you to death and destruction of a false gospel. People like Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, these 
Teachers are preying on people with a false gospel. And we need to be cautious and check what they are saying and reject it. And I know what some, maybe few of you might even think. Well, I can read it and I can cut out the bad parts. What's that saying? I can eat the chicken and spit out the bones. Well, brothers and sisters, let me warn you that you feast too much, you might choke on a bone and destroy your soul. You need to be careful that false gospel takes root in your heart and takes you down a path of destruction. And I'm afraid, unfortunately, instead of talking about good faithful doctrine, and building ourselves up in knowing the Bible, as it says here, we are part of fruitless discussion. We as churches, when we call an elder or pastor or leader or deacon, instead of asking them biblical questions about what they think about the Bible, we say, well, what's your favorite team? What's your favorite color? Well, you know, yeah, all these wonderful things, it's good to get to know somebody. But what if we ask them, what do you, how do you stand on God's word? How would you answer a heretic? What would you do? What do you believe about the Trinity? What do you understand about scripture? How will you teach us? These are important things, but we talk about frivolous, fruitless discussion. We have churches that spend more time arguing over the color of the carpet and the music style than actually being concerned about the very doctrine that they're singing in the song. Today, we are distracted often by the meaningless talk of those blogging on the internet that becomes wearisome and unproductive. We doom scroll into these these bloggers that that are really false teachers and have nothing to do with the church that claim all these false things about pastors and churches and, and, and people and then we believe them even though that they don't stand on God's word. Even seminary folk. We like to argue the fine-tuning nature of different elements of the scripture and theology that all good and well orthodox Bible-believing Christians disagree on but we've got to state our case we've got to argue instead of worrying about the very souls of the people in our church we need to be careful that we are holding to sound doctrine paul goes on to say that the teachers who are mis uh, they are misusing the law <laughs> i love he says they're even talking about something they don't even know about it's very clear that they, it's not just the what they're saying, but they don't even have a, a grounding to know what they're talking about. Paul goes on to say that, that it's this misuse of the law that has become dangerous in the church. Two ways that it was uh, dangerous in the church, many of them were adding to the law. They were doing a legalism like we were talking about earlier when they said you couldn't marry or eat certain things or, or that they believed that the law could produce righteousness. In other words, if you act good, do the tradition, walk and live a certain way, it's almost like fake it till you make it. You look a certain way, God will just let you right in the door because you look good on the outside. And Paul said that this is not how the law is kept. 
how we understand and know sound doctrine to be important for us is that we know that first and foremost, the, the law is to help us as sinners to know that we're in sin. That we see and look at just the Ten Commandments and we say, yep, we're liars. We know that we're cheaters. We know that we don't honor our family and our parents. We know that we are in sin and separated from God. And we need Jesus. We look at the law. We also know that, that as Christians that we can look at the law and say once that we have been saved by faith, these are ways that we can live faithfully. That when we are Christians, that we can be truth speakers, that we can love our spouses faithfully. All these things are important to us. But we also know that God's law helps us to recognize boundaries in life. Just like a speed limit sign warns all those of us who are reckless drivers how important it is to slow down and to, to drive right, the law is also meant for us to understand what is out of bounds and what is destructive. You know that Jesus, uh, Jesus taught so that we could understand how we are to live. And brothers and sisters, have you understood or ever considered or maybe thought recently that you are part of a line that goes back to Jesus? That Jesus taught the apostles, the apostles taught the disciples in the church that started the early church and it continues on till today. It's a string of line unbroken till the gospel comes from Jesus and teaching that we now are to pick up and pass to the next generation. Therefore, that's when Paul writes in Jude, in 3, he says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints once for all. Brothers and sisters, we must contend for the faith. We must contend with sound doctrine. We must expect sound doctrine in our teaching. And one of the reasons... We voted on and agreed upon in the church for our new strategy for disciple making is that we want to encourage one another to walk in faith, to walk in the Bible, to be self-feeders, to be able to take the Bible and understand it and to grow in our faith, to understand what sound doctrine is. And that's why we said that our fourth strategy is to mentor others in personal discipleship. And here we see a perfect example of that, right? Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy was so important when he found him that he called him and saw that God was aspiring and moving in his life to do great things. They traveled from in Thessalonica to Corinth and to Jerusalem. They, he stayed, uh, Timothy paid by, stayed by Paul's side uh, in imprisonment. Together, they were part of writing six of the uh, books of the Bible. Of course, Paul wrote it, but Tim, it says Paul and Timothy write. To, Paul was, uh, Timothy was there. In this, we see this relationship of mentoring that Paul was passing down to, to Timothy, to where he established Timothy to go to the church at Ephesus to become one of the elders there and pastors there that they he would lead the church into foundational truth. This next weekend, Friday and Saturday, you have an opportunity to grow just like Paul and having a mentoring relationship. 
Friday and Saturday, we're having Chuck Lawless, who has, who has mentored thousands of seminarians, thousands of missionaries, people who have, have wrote about this, prayed about this, thought about this, and Friday night and Saturday, you have the opportunity, you'll get information as you leave to come and say, how can I pass on my faith to someone else? Brothers and sisters, this is not for people who have been to seminary necessarily. It is part of that, but not just for those who have been to seminary. This is the plan Jesus made that he gave to the apostles and to the disciples that you pass on your faith. Are you a Christian? If you are, you can mentor someone because you've got the Holy Spirit and you've got a Bible and you can share and help people grow in the faith. It's then that the church, then we must leave a legacy of sound doctrine and we must do that together. Secondly, we must join the fight for a legacy of the gospel. In verse 12 through 17, uh, Paul writes this, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be glory, and, uh, excuse me, honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is writing here as he uh, writes often, he dips into a momentary praise. And as he was writing, he, he thought about this gospel that was entrusted to him. And, he, and, and the Lord brought to his mind his own salvation in the gospel. Paul was enthralled that Christ had come to him and met with him on the road and saved even him, the one who would put Christians to death. Acts chapter 26, he speaks of himself and his story. He says, in fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem and locked up many of the saints in prison and I had received authority for that from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. Paul understood his testimony. Paul understood his story. Paul knew how horrible he was, how faithless he was, how he chased down Christians even to their death to lock them up. Paul said that if the gospel through Jesus can be patient with me and bring mercy into my life, brothers and sisters, this same gospel must be preached, must be maintained, and must be proclaimed by every believer because it is only by grace that you have been saved by faith. 
And here in verse 15, we see a short summary of the gospel when he says this is true and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Brothers and sisters, we know that is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus, part of the triune God, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, taking the punishment of sin for each of us, that and, and raised to life in three days, and that those who repent of their sins and believe on him will not perish but have eternal life. And this grace and merciful gift that comes from Jesus is acceptable to you today and must maintain. We, we are, are very tempted often to sweeten it up or to couch it or to make it more palatable. Some people don't like to talk about the sin part and not talk about that. Uh, don't call them sinners. They're going to get offended. They don't need to know that we're sinners. Just, just tell them that God loves them. Well, brothers and sisters, the reason that we need to know about sin is because we need to know that we need God because we're separated from him. It would be unloving for me to cut out the sin part because then you would just stay there and eternity live in the punishment of your sin. Some people change the gospel and add to the gospel and, and breathe more things into the gospel, but we must understand that it is by faith in Jesus Christ alone that we can be saved. And we need to be, remember that this is the power of the gospel to save, that we share it whenever we have the opportunity. Brothers and sisters, I hear it and I remember the good-natured patience and mercy that God came to me, but it also challenges me because often I get prideful. Often I get looked down and say, oh, there's no hope for that person. They're, they're too far gone. But brothers and sisters, Paul breathes life into our stony hearts and says the power of the gospel is to save all. Even me, Paul says, the worst of them. That I would say, even Sean, the worst of them. And to think, brothers and sisters, even now, we need to think of the power of the gospel to save. That right now, as, as Alan prayed this morning, that we have our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, that the church had been booming, had been, had been growing rapidly because the gospel had come. And even under other sections of, of, of Taliban rule, the, the gospel was still flourishing. But now we know that violence has broken out. We know our brothers and sisters are, are being killed. We know that churches have gotten letters from the Taliban and said, you need to stop what you're doing. We're going to give you a few days or we're going to come in there. And the pastors and the people in there are saying, come on in because we believe Jesus is bigger than you. But in the midst of Afghanistan, where there are Taliban soldiers who are beheading Christians and killing Christians, guess what, brothers and sisters? The same gospel is powerful enough to save Taliban soldiers Amen. as it was Paul, as it was you. And we need to be reminded of the purity, the goodness, the power of the gospel that we must share it and we must go in the gospel. And we must plead with people to follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we have a legacy in the gospel. 
And finally, number three, we need to join the fight for a legacy of the faith. Let me just read these last three verses. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Some may have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them, there are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Paul finally charges Timothy and for us to fight for the faith. What does he mean by that? Well, he describes it to help us to understand that there is this faith that, has, uh, that we have, this, where Hymenaeus and Alexander has shipwrecked their faith. What Paul is talking about is that their, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ displayed in how they live. How do we know that? Because he talks about the faith connected to good conscience. Well, what is the conscience? The conscience is what we know and we can determine what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. And by that, our consciences by Christ and through the Spirit have been seared to follow God's Word. And by doing so, we know the doctrine, but we then live the doctrine. That we know what God's Word says, and then we live it faithfully in our lives. And what had happened in those false teachers' lives? They, their action, their conscience has decided to follow something other than the Bible. And they had been seared not to the scriptures, but to the world. And so when they started to sin and follow the world, then they started to read their Bibles a little differently. They started to change it and edit it and make it suit what they wanted to do. Does that sound familiar? Not heard anything like that happen these days, right? That we know that we want to do some things or follow the world in the ways that they say that things are okay. And so people then change how they read or how they interpret their Bible. But Paul says a sincere faith goes both with a pure heart and a good conscience. John Willison, a, a Scottish pastor, said to pastors a long time ago, he said, if we would advance the church's credit and avert her reproach, let us all be careful to preach to our people by our lives as well as our lips, to conform our doctrine in the pulpit by our conversation out of it. Let us mind that a loose way of living will soon demolish all that has been built by the most lively way of preaching. For our people have seen, uh, have eyes to see how we walk, as well as ears to hear what we say. Now that was written to preachers, but that's written to all of us, right? If we proclaim Jesus Christ, people around us see how we talk, see how we live, hear how we talk, look what we do. And it keeps us from hypocritical living. And our faith that is shipwrecked is one that we give over our conscience of faith, our conscience to live. And unfortunately, many of us are deterred and are shipwrecked away from Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are in a fight for our families, our marriages, our lives. And Satan and his, all his minions of hell will entice you to deceptions in how you might live with divisions in the church, divisions in the home. And this battle will look differently for you, but we must understand that if we're not caught off guard, that we must stand strong amid the challenges by standing strong in the word and allowing it to lead how we live. We must keep a faith in good conscience 
And as we do so, Paul goes on to say, then you must protect the church in this way. You must protect each other. This just isn't just an individual solo act, but you are here to help one another. How do we have a foundation and pillar of truth? Because we're encouraging each other to have the foundation and life of truth. That we all stand true in the faith. What Paul talked about Hominius and Alexander. He says that he handed them over to Satan. This is assuredly referring to church discipline of 1 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 18. These two men were cast out that they might understand their sin and their error and return to Christ. And this is a loving thing to do, Paul says. Because if we are accountable to one another, that we are accountable to love one another and to keep us from error and wrong. Jonathan Lehman observes of this, we love most people most then by pointing them to God who is love. And when people who claim to love God walk away from God, we love them most by correcting them and saying, no, 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 God is love. So if you want love, you must return to God. Those who oppose and disobey God are running away from love. They are choosing something besides love. And even if they call it love. So brothers and sisters, we must live life for one another and with one another. To encourage us, encourage each other in our faith and good conscience. Over the last few years, we unfortunately have seen churches taken down by famous pastor or maybe even not so famous pastor falling in sin and our first reaction in some re- some circles is to protect them and say well oh well you know they're sinners just like the rest of us and we need to forgive them and yes brothers and sisters i would agree wholeheartedly the grace of christ can come to them that they can repent and believe and be forgiven and and have a life but there's so many that would argue to say, oh, their ministry needs to continue. They need to keep going and, and sharing and shepherding people. And I would say, uh-uh-uh. They've already shipwrecked their faith. Why would we ask somebody to follow them into another shipwreck? We need to keep our leaders accountable. Even me. As much as you love me, if I started to do something that was unsightly and unbiblical and ungodly to me, my family, or to you, I would expect nothing less than you to expect to turn me out and hope that I come to Christ. We need to be careful that we excuse sin so quickly because we, when we do, we communicate a false gospel to the world. And it hurts the name and fame of Jesus. Because this is his church and we represent him. And we need to all hold each other accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need each other. That's why we say when we need to be in life groups together, that we need someone who's close enough to see when we're, we're, we're struggling or we're walking away. That we have someone that can speak into our life, that can encourage us in our walk. We need that all the time. Today as you leave, there'll be leaders from life groups. We encourage you, if you're not in one, that you find one and that you connect with one because you need people in your life to come alongside you and say, hey, you're, you're, you're wandering from the faith here. 
Or you might be discouraged from temptation or sorrow. You need someone to come alongside you and pray for you and encourage you to keep the faith when it's hard. And I know some of you might say, well, you know, I know, but y'all, y'all, all y'all do is talk about the sermon again. And, you know, that, those, you know, we've already heard the sermon once. We don't need to go talk about the scriptures again. To which I would ask this question. Have you lived these scriptures faithfully? Has someone, have you talked to someone about living these scriptures faithfully today? Have you talked to someone about how you're guarding the gospel or your faith in your own life? Well, brothers and sisters, that's what life groups are for. To come and have others, each other to say, how are you living the scriptures this week? How are you faithfully following Jesus? So as you leave today, think how you need to plug into a life group so that we can together guard the faith that has been given to us in Christ. And today, if you are without Christ, I hope that you are struck with the good news of the Bible and of the gospel. And I hope today that you would hear it and see that our hope is built on Jesus Christ and that by faith and repentance, you may today be saved. We hope that you would repent. We hope that you would believe. If you are born again, then we would encourage you to come and be baptized and show the world that you now follow Jesus Christ. And believer today, as you leave and think of these verses, and hopefully when you go into a life group and you think of these verses, that you would ask this question, are you fighting for a legacy of faith? And how faithful are you at doing so? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for these words from Paul to Timothy and the church at Ephesus because it helps us to be faithful believers. And may we be challenged by God's word to be faithful and true, to stand strong and guard the gospel, the faith that you have given us, that we may live it faithfully for the next generation. We ask those here today that we would be challenged by your word and that God And if there's someone here or at home, that they would be pricked by the gospel, that you would move by the Spirit, and they would be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.